to the Digiday podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, senior reporter. Kaylee, this week we wrapped up our four-part series on creators. Kind of a common thread throughout this has been talking about how these individual creators, whether they're YouTube stars or Substack writers, are you know, basically their own media companies. In, in this case, you talked with the Try Guys who have, in fact, created their own media company, right? Yeah, um, I spoke with the Try Guys who got their start at BuzzFeed. So in the episode, we talk about how they are all coming from like producing backgrounds and, and they've worked in video editing and, and um, directing and things like that for a media company. So they kind of had the nuts and bolts of what it takes to run a media company. Um, they had that already in the back of their head when they set out on their own. And you know, I think that kind of sets them apart from the other creators that we spoke with who really are self-starters, who kind of built their brands and their businesses from the ground up, just from their, you know, bedrooms in a way. Um, the Try Guys had a kind of a different approach to coming into creating their own business, which was really interesting to talk about. So yes, they definitely fall in that category of creating their own companies and media businesses and this like new genre of what a media company could be but they came from a media company did you pick up on whether they're doing anything different in building their media companies than like you know what a I guess traditional media company kind of looks like because mm -hmm. they're diversifying like every media company is but I don't know if there's any nuances to how yeah. they're building the business yeah I think that's a really great question because the the thing I kind of you know, ask them a lot about is how passion fits into their growth strategy. Um, we talk a lot about their different product lines and the different video projects that they're working on. And those have all stemmed from, you know, what the guys themselves are interested in or passionate about and how that ties into what their audiences know them for. So, they're diversifying, I would say, similarly to how the other creators in our series um, have talked about. But and similar also to how media companies are thinking about diversification, but they're doing so in a way that feels very organic um, and and very related to their personal interests, uh, which is really interesting. So that's a big thing that I, I focus on. Again, it's it's very much like what how does the role of passion play into creating a media company from a creator perspective and yeah yeah we'll, we'll get into that a bunch in this conversation awesome well i will let you get to it kaylee thanks so much thanks tim Hi, guys. Um, it's so great to have you on and to speak with you. Um, I don't know if you remember, we chatted about a year ago, I guess it was before the pandemic. Um, and I was just kind of learning about your business at that point. But I, I'm pretty familiar with the Try Guys. I've been watching you guys for several years now. So it's exciting to have you on. Um, and for the viewers or listeners, I guess, at home who can't see my screen, um, we're joined today by Keith, Zach, and Ned of the Try Guys. The fourth Try Guy is Eugene. Um, he's not here today, but I'm so excited to have you guys on. Thank you so much. Hey, Kaylee. It's yeah, pleasure to be here. Us. Good to see you again. I guess we'll start off with a little bit of background for our listeners. This is the last episode of our creator series that we've been putting together. We're the oh finale? Gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We got somebody's going to sit up tall now. Who is it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's also a cliffhanger. 
yes, someone will die. Um, just kidding. It's I hope nuts. it's me. This is the grand finale. Um, we have spoken with a Substacker, a TikToker, some other YouTubers. Um, but now we have the Try Guys here. And uh, a little bit of background, uh, your guys' channel has more than 7.5 million subscribers at the time of this recording. Um, but you also have um, a few podcast shows. You have several merch and product lines. Um you have an upcoming special with the Food Network, which was really cool, and I think one with Amazon Prime, Keith, if if I read that email correctly. Um, and you've also written a book, and you went on tour pre-pandemic. So you guys are definitely not just YouTubers at this point. Um, you're doing a lot. Um, but you did start as a YouTube show for BuzzFeed. So I was hoping you can kind of get a little bit into the origin story and when you guys first realized that you had something really good going together. Can I say first, I always have this like uh, uh, insecurity that I'm not doing enough and I beat myself up a lot. So when I heard that all listed out, I'm like, yeah, Zach, take a break. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> How did we start? Yeah, Who wants to take quite it? A bit. Zach, you're crushing it. You're good at telling this this story, I feel like. Yeah. Tell tell us the story, Zach. Oh, well, Daddy Zach, tell us a story. Six six years ago now, which feels like eons ago, uh, the four of us began as video producers uh, at BuzzFeed. It was a fledgling video department still trying to, I mean, this was pre-Facebook video, right? So a lot of our job back then was just trying to crack the code of what does it mean to be a viral video? If you get a video and it's a hit, can you catch that lightning in a bottle? Can you dissect it? So we really... Uh, looked at ourselves as video a video laboratory, right? We, we were scientists trying to figure out what is social video. About eight months into that, the th four of us, not really being friends, uh, joined together to create this thing that would become the Try Guys. We often say that we came up in the world's largest and fastest focus group, where we didn't in really have an intention of creating a series or a comedy group or whatever the hell you would call us, but the audience wanted it and we went with it. So now, all these years later, uh, we, we separated from BuzzFeed about two years ago. We have, or no, almost three? Wait, three, no. How, three? Three. three. Oh, wow, yeah. wow, three guys. The ago. pandemic has worked my brain. <laughs> we quit about the same time that my son Wes was born and Wes three. is three now. Wow. So three years. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, but here we are, and uh, we, as you said, we've grown our channel as well as this independent production company. Um, we have an incredible crew that works with us. We're up to, again, I've lost count, uh, uh, north of 15 people working with us full time. And 20. it's just a 20. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Okay, I need to take that's a walk. What, you well, guys that's do what the, the pandemic does. We haven't been able yeah, to, to be in the same Zach. room with every employee that we have right now and us all together, which is something we really look forward to. We actually just uh, got a brand new office that we're going to be moving into this summer. And one of the first things we want to do in there is have everyone who works with us, has worked with us in the last year, especially because it was a crazy year, come together and sort of celebrate all the accomplishments that we've had recently because we really haven't had proper celebrations and our team is really incredible. I, a lot of the people love the four of us try guys, but we are, we are really surrounded by a lot of incredible uh, people. I swear I can name them all. I know I everyone that works with us. I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't. thinking that I'm just like a check-in, check-out guy. 
you left BuzzFeed three years ago, but you didn't like, so I watched your why I left BuzzFeed video because I watch all of those videos because they're addictive to me. But um, (laughs) you didn't have the idea to launch the company when you initially left, right? Like that idea came a little bit after the fact, or did you know when you were leaving that you were going to create this company? I would say they went pretty hand in hand. Um, You know, we wanted to, uh, our contracts were up. We wanted to leave and create an independent company together, um, which that would give us a lot more autonomy and ownership uh, and ability to be, pursue our own creative projects uh, and kind of control over our own work. And, um, you know, that was a, a really exciting step for us. It also has led us to be able to expand the brand in ways that we wouldn't have thought to otherwise do it. We went on a nationwide tour, released a best-selling book. Uh, you see now we're getting into products and podcasts and a whole bunch of different stuff. And it's really, we've created a production company, yes, but we're, we've created more a, a media company of the future that can intersperse uh, and tr- go between traditional television and digital kind of have a a variety of different uh, ways to reach people. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I I definitely want to get into like all of the different things that you're doing past video that um, are creating that like new type of media company, which is um, I think a great way to kind of describe it. I'm curious, like how were you able to get the IP with you? Like how were you able to kind of make this company out of something that you created under BuzzFeed, which I'm sure there's a bunch of legal stuff that you can't, fully disclosed, but I am curious, like, was it a big fight for you guys? So Jonah Peretti, uh, who runs BuzzFeed, turns out is terrible at rock, paper, scissor. Uh, <laughs> his best two out of three. I swept yeah, his ass. Uh, no, I, I mean, as you said, it's absolutely not a given that when you create IP under a, a company that you have the opportunity to take it. So uh, I guess what we can say is that we were able to purchase the IP from them and they were gracious and even allowing us that pathway, because uh, certainly that's not something they had to do. Got it. All right. So you talked about having a production company um, of that has 20 employees now, um, more than 15, 20. Um, but you also are building that office and you're, you're going into the office um, this summer. That's like a big studio, right? Like I think I uh, last time we chatted, you guys were kind of talking about creating this larger space. Can you talk about, I guess, the how you were able to do that? Like, I think a lot of creators, especially like YouTube native creators, I I feel like building a studio isn't the natural next step, but you guys have been able to do that in, in the three years that you've been solo. Like, how were you able to kind of grow your company into a 20 person team that also has, you know, uh, its own kind of office and studio and, and make your own media company, really. Just like, how did you do that? Uh, well, to I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that I can answer the question. Um, I think one really cool thing is that we all started as producers. Um, we all kind of didn't start necessarily as personalities uh, working out of our houses. We all started as uh, behind the camera people working at an office. And uh, obviously we had uh, varying degrees of uh, desire to be on camera. Uh, uh, for example, Keith and I had been doing a lot of uh, live comedy shows and we're certainly happy to jump on board. Um, but, 
you know, having a, a centralized production space and working with different, um, uh, different people and collaborators on our team, you know, editors, post-production, uh, like a production department, uh, uh, you know, a social, a social engagement team. And these are all, uh, pieces of the puzzle that we knew that would be, we could be even more efficient and do even more things if we were able to delegate that and not mm. just be doing everything ourselves. Um, but the, I think the answer simply to your question is, how do we do it slowly over time with uh, <laughs> incremental um, building out of different pieces of our business? But now, as a result, we're able to be publishing two videos a week on YouTube while we're also working on a full-length movie and then having four podcasts going at the same time. We've The amount of scale and things that we've been able to do and ways that we've been able to connect with people through our content has um, drastically uh, increased. I'm going to hype up Ned in a way that he won't do for himself. I mean, look, the, the beauty of having the four of us creatively is that we all have different interests and different tastes and that all comes together to create the different expressions you see on the channel. But also behind the scenes, there are different things that we are interested in and also capable of. And I will say that Ned is the only one of us who has even remotely a brain that can uh, uh, understand how to build a company out, how to uh, keep our finances in check, how to make sure that we are growing. Um, and frankly, without him, we would have all floundered and uh, flamed out miraculously. It would have been a great three years, but we would be uh, struggling right now. And so certainly it, for that, especially Ned was instrumental in figuring out what is the model, where is our money coming from, and how can we spend it uh, uh, intelligently to get a team around us so that we are not grinding ourselves to the bone here and continue to make bigger and better stuff. Way to go, Ned. It leads me to one of my questions where every time I talk to young company founders or people who are launching their own businesses, the biggest thing I hear is like 40-hour work weeks don't exist. Um, they're, you know, working at like literally all hours of the day. They're working on weekends. Um, I know you guys obviously have very, you know, hectic lives. And um, Ned, I know you have two children. So you have things that are occupying these like other areas of your brain, but when it comes down to it, is the traditional nine to five, like, does that not exist for you guys? Are you constantly, I don't love the word hustling, but are you hustling? Yeah, it's a little of both. Like there are weeks where it feels like we're doing a nine to six job and we're able to accomplish our shoots and stuff. Uh, but there's no two days at second try that look the same. They're just, it's just not how this kind of production works. Whereas, and we have so many mm -hmm. different shows that we're trying to make and grow. And with the podcast, it's just, everything's kind of crazy. So I would say, yes, we're always hustling. Uh, but it's more out of like a, an excitement to do more things. We often overload ourselves with like a million concurrent projects that we're all equally passionate about all of them. Uh, and we have to do a lot of chess of moving things around so that we aren't launching all of these things at the same time, but every single thing gets its opportunity to shine, uh, which is very tough. And, but it's also really exciting. Like, it's so cool to be like, oh yeah, we were working on four podcasts while making a movie. And right now we're working on our uh, slate of stuff. Ned has just launched a cookbook. We're doing a food network show. There's like a lot always happening. So we are always 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to someone else. I was like, it feels like everything's urgent right now. I feel like everything we do is urgent. It's like, how do you feel? Like, I feel like there's urgency everywhere. We can't, there's always something that has to happen right now. And there's five things that have to happen right now. Uh, but it's always better to be busy. Well, I think that's where... Uh, that's where that idea of autonomy comes in. It, it's so satisfying to be able to dream things and then set out to do it with, you know, you don't have, a, especially online, you don't have a gatekeeper or someone that you're waiting to ask permission for or to tell you that it's okay to do something. Uh, we, we, it's like, we kind of fill up our, our, our lives and our schedules with, projects we're passionate about because we we have the 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 freedom and the flexibility to kind of just pursue anything and everything that we might want to do which oftentimes is too much (laughs) yeah to contrast though we've gotten so much better at bringing people on obviously with our team so when we started this back at buzzfeed and also the first year of this company like i would regularly be editing till two in the morning that that was you know, that was my routine. And now we really try to have a work-life balance because without that, there is no longevity. There's no opportunity to refill your personal filter, your creative filter. Um, It's pretty essential to, to having a career that is more than just a blip, more than a moment, is to have a life to balance it with. So it's pretty important to all of us. I mean, I think having that ability to especially in the time of COVID where you don't have to leave an office, so you don't have to turn off. Like having those like, you know, work-life balances is is important, but also not the easiest. Um, so it's good to kind of prioritize that. But I wanted to ask because um, I think a big part of this conversation I was hoping to have is to talk about the role of like passion projects um, in your company, because um, you mentioned the product lines that you have, um, Keith's Chicken Sauce, uh, Zach's Tea Company, um, Zadico. I think I pronounced that right. You nailed it. Um, It's it's like LaCroix, however you want to pronounce it. Zadico. Got it. (laughs) Um, and then the, the cookbook, and these are just like some examples, um, but the cookbook is called the date night cookbook, I believe. Um, I am curious, you know, how does the role of these like passion projects or identifying products that you're excited about as creators, but then have this kind of cross section of, you also know your audience is going to buy them. Like, how do you go about, um, identifying what those things are and then like, creating them like how is that now a core part of your business to have these you know different product lines so i think what's very cool about making content on the internet is that we are unlike traditional celebrities like actors and that we are mostly just being us all the time right so as a viewer it's more of a friendship than it is just a fandom there's sort of the lines between them bleed uh and when we make content about Mm -hmm. something people want to participate in that content whether it is Uh, you know, watching me eat everything from a fast food restaurant and then going and buying that food from that fast food restaurant. Whether it's watching us ride a roller coaster at a certain theme park and then going to that theme park and riding that roller coaster and taking a selfie. They want to find bridges to complete that friendship fandom sort of uh, blend. And we just saw that, uh, you know, when we did things, people would do them too. And we thought, that's really interesting. How could we make it even more attached to us? So rather than just them going to Taco Bell and getting something I recommended. What if I could design 
a sauce and a flavor profile that I could describe and then someone could actually go get it and now I'm in their cabinet. Or, or they could be like, I really want to de-stress at the end of the day watching Try Guys and I want to drink Zach's tea to help me de-stress too. Now I'm closer to, to Zach. Date Night is a show that Ned and Ariel do together that is a, really about, you know, how food and relationships are together and how, you know, you can bring the fun of a date out where someone else is cooking in and you cook together, you create together. So now the Date Night Cookbook sort of completes that story or at least adds on to that story. So it's a lot about just enriching our relationship with our fans in ways that both are fun for us and like make me really excited. I love when people tag me in Instagram stories eating the hot sauce. It's just like it really does feel like we have reached out and touched one another because fans and, and viewers can often be boiled down to a number under a video player. And these products that are directly to us really let us see who our fans are, what they look like, what they like. And it's just such a cool relationship we get to build through these sort of odd or fun products. Additionally, I'm trying as time goes on, I think, to get a little more selfish with the content we create. And what I mean by that is thinking less about what is going to spread widely and more about like, what is really going to excite me? What And because I think that passion goes out. So like, you know, you, we talk about we made a hot sauce and a tea. I don't think that those are obvious money makers. Like they're not the biggest thing, but it's something that we had a genuine curiosity and, and passionate about. Um, and so as we move forward, like I have a podcast about movies now, that's not necessarily the biggest crossover between our audience, but it's just like, it was the part of me that was itching to get out that I wanted to do. Uh, and as I look to the content that we're going to put on our channel, um, in the months to come, like I want to make things that just make me happy in addition to the things that fuel, uh, this fandom that we've created and hopefully push them in new directions. Maybe some of them will work. Maybe some of them won't. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. So I think that kind of leads in really nicely to um, another question I had, which is around like experimentation. So Zach, you mentioned that you're doing this movie podcast that doesn't so much tie into maybe your, you know, core audiences. Uh, it's it's niche. It's just a niche. It's a more niche interest. Yeah. But to that end, like you were able to kind of experiment and do what you were excited about. I am curious about how you could also, um, how you've been using your company to maybe experiment in different roles as well. Um, I know Eugene's not here, but he did some um, directorial work for a couple of videos. Um, one of them was, we need to talk about anti-Asian hate that came out uh, in March. I'm curious, like, can you talk a little bit about giving each other flexibility to do these passion projects, step into different roles, and then how you're also doing that while balancing like the um, producing two videos just a week um, on YouTube and also running a company and, and some of those things. Like how much leniency do you have in experimentation um, at your company? I mean, I was absolutely thinking about Eugene's projects when I was saying that and also thinking about how we all aspire uh, and on the slate coming up like all have our little passion projects for the channel that are similar to those. You know, um, Eugene's anti-Asian documentary, uh, as well as his coming out video, were two videos that felt incredibly important to us, but also to him personally, as an artist, as a person. It was something that he had to get out of him, you know? And so we have this wonderful opportunity to say, okay, this video is probably not going to make money compared to the other things. We're going to put in more resources. We're probably going to lose money on it, but it's still 
this is something that we care about and we can take those swings. Um, it's There's not really a ma- an equation that we have of like, okay, for every one passion project, we have to do eight of these. We're just trying to make <laughs> sure we're generally going in the right direction uh, and are surrounding our risks with um, some more surefire hits. But also sometimes our risks pay off tremendously, um, if not necessarily in terms of you know, straight up revenue, just in terms of fan reception. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think you always have to be challenging what it means to be yourself as a creator. You always need to be pushing your content into a new place because that is where you find the real hits. Uh, I mean, to go back in time, like when we've made our first without a recipe video, I, I, have said this now several times to the guys. I told Keith and Eugene to their face. I remember they were at a picnic table. I said, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had. This is a bad video. And, you know, sure enough, here we are, however many years later, and we have a Food Network uh, pilot because of it. So sometimes you just (laughs) got to roll the dice and say, guys, I think that idea is crazy, but good luck. Right. I wasn't going to say, you know, it seems like you were really off in that assumption. But uh, yeah, I did want to talk about the Food Network special and um, I guess going to that traditional TV route. I know this is this is the our editor is not going to have to do any editing. This is going to be such a smooth episode. Blah, 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 blah. There you go. Something to edit. Yep. So with the like kind of going after traditional TV um partnerships, deals, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think what was interesting to me about the Without a Recipe is like you were able to sell this show to the Food Network. I guess, how did you go about like connecting those dots and and signing that deal and um, I guess like make it so that you have a cooking show? Like what was the process of that? And do you anticipate doing more of it? Do you want to do more of these kind of like traditional tv plays yeah i the it's it's hard to say how it happened because truly the world of hollywood and show pitching is uh not fun and that sort of relates to what ned said before about how by having our own platforms we don't have a gatekeeper what we mean by that is somebody above you who says yes or no who gives you money and opportunity And like when you build your own company, you have the benefit of like nobody tells you no except for ourselves. We say no if we think something isn't going to work. And even then we often have done enough now where we mostly know when things will work or not. But that particular, you know, show is something we really loved. We also agree it's a comedy show disguised and wrapped up as a food competition show because it's always the same for contestants. It doesn't really matter who wins. There's no prize. It's just... You know, it was basically a different way to get into the same Try Guys kind of uh, lessons, which is take chances. You're probably going to fail, but you will learn through the process about what you're doing. And the audience will still have that expert to learn from. And everyone who watches this episode will walk away knowing at least how not to make brownies. And probably they might even know kind of how to make brownies. And that's like a really awesome you know, thing, because typically food competition shows, you don't actually learn what to do. You just observe and you see a lot of really good people doing a lot of really good stuff and one's better. Uh, But ours is like a very different approach to that. It's almost like a, it's a how-to that's a how-not-to series. And how we did it with Food Network was (laughs) we met with them and we talked about it and we thought it was a really great fit and we 
spent a year <laughs> figuring out how it would work. And, and also the pandemic certainly added to all that time. And then finally, we ended up with something we think is a really great uh, version of Without a Recipe that's unique enough to go on television and has some benefits of television. So this will work better for that. And we'll still be able to make our our classic without a recipe on our channel. So it's sort of the best of both worlds uh, for us. We get to keep growing something we've really loved doing and our audience really loves and grow it in a whole new place where it can attract new audiences and really, uh, you know, define us as people who not only can make YouTube videos, but can make TV. Because that's a big, I think, misconception across the industry is that because you make shows on one platform, you can't make shows on another. And I like to think that we are capable of making shows for any platform. We just need fewer gatekeepers so that we can do that. The night before our pilot, which we shot last week for Food Network, uh, I was a little nervous, right? Because it was like the first time we'd ever made a TV show. And oh my gosh, my, I feel like, oh, I, like for the last decade of my career, I've been like, oh, I want to I want to make TV. And then I arrived on set and I was just like, oh, what was I worried about? This is just the same shit I do every single day. <laughs> like, this is just this is just the same stuff I do every single day. This is uh, I don't know if they're swearing on this podcast. Um, the, I I I arrived, I arrived on set and it was the basically the exact same type of situation we have with uh, when we shoot our without a recipe on the channel, except it was in a restaurant on location, uh, and I they had slightly nicer cameras and um, more professional, uh, you know, people that had shot uh, dozens and dozens of Food Network shows before. But in terms of like the storytelling and the act structure and a lot of the different elements, it was very exciting to me because it was like, oh, wait, we have kind of been doing this all along. And you see that now with there's a big part of this strategy for Food Network and Discovery is it's going to be on Discovery Plus as well as the linear food network and it's there's this merging of digital becoming more and more tv like and tv becoming more and more uh open to digital modes of distribution um so i think what really stands out is um good content yeah you may uh kaylee be like enough of this question i've gotten the answers i need but uh we've always tried to take a more traditional approach to how we make youtube videos right like we are not vlogging and just seeing what happens we have a 3x structure we we uh, uh, we will beat it out before we shoot. We try and have bigger crews when we can. And so I think part of where we're going as a company and as individuals speaks to where we came from, which is that we did not set out to become YouTubers. Uh, we, we set out to make great stuff and happen to find a home on YouTube. So part of our future, I think, is... Uh, realizing the tremendous opportunity we have on that platform, but also continuing to strive to try and push that platform to a new place and finding opportunities outside it and beyond it. Because frankly, I still really yearn to make things in a more traditional sense. I know all of us do in different ways. Like I, I would love to see more scripted content from the Try Guys universe. I would love the chance to make more long form storytelling. Some of that stuff we can do on YouTube, some of that stuff we can't. And uh, we're, we're excited for all the opportunities we have because of the fan base we've cultivated. I mean, that's awesome. It, it does make sense watching your videos. You often have that like studio setup anyway. So for it to feel like you've been doing this for 10 years when you walked on set, Ned, like it, that definitely makes sense. And um, 
Yeah. So I guess like my next question, because I do want to ask a little bit about revenue. Um, you, so you have your consumer revenue lines. Um, that's your like your product lines, your teas, your your hot sauces, things like that, your book and the tour, of course. Um, but I also want to talk about um, advertising because uh, I AdSense is like what kind of like rings the, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking with I guess, like YouTube native creators. Um, but because you have this um, production company and you have these like pretty curated setup, I'm curious if you have been doing the bulk of your advertising deals um, in like direct sold ad campaigns at this point. Like, are you primarily working with brand deals as your like ad revenue or does the like pre-roll, mid-roll stuff, is that kind of the the bread and butter for advertising? Um, we're fortunate in that we have been able to book a fair amount of direct, um, direct branded campaigns. Um, we brought on a, a media seller and have been kind of working more directly with brands and kind of giving them those, those de- degree of analytics reports and ROI type of tracking that, that they expect. Um, but our videos are long too. So there are, um, YouTube will put, several mid-roll ad breaks in a 50-minute without a recipe video, and that's a significant revenue driver as well. And also lets us invest more back into the content. Um, it, it lets us you know, hire those bigger crews and rent out spaces and, and make the type of investment like our 5,000-square-foot uh, new production space in Burbank. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's definitely a, a sizable overhead outlay for us, but it's going to be... Um, awesome because it's going to be a new home for everything that we do. That's both uh, flexible. Uh, it's stable as well as flexible at the same time. It's stable. Like everyone's always going to be there. Flexible. It is, has the ability to bring in sets and kind of have build ups, load in, load out for different projects. Yeah. So you, you've hired someone to kind of run your like media ad sales um, internally. Uh, I guess like how are you pitching yourself to advertisers? Like who is your, I guess, core demographic? And do you now have like a, a wider variety of um, audiences because you have some of these like um, offshoots from your from your you know main channel at this point um, with the podcasts and with the other kind of shows that you have going? Yeah, our typical demographic is 18 to 25 females. Um, and it's actually um, quite significantly skewed female, uh, which is a surprise to some people as a cast of, of four guys. Um, but, you know, we got our start having guys trying uh, lady stuff and relatable things in a female identity. Um, so that it's kind of how how that uh, grew. Different shows do have some different demographics and will um, kind of sometimes... Uh, present those different demographics. I like, for example, eat the menu skews a bit more 50, 50. Some of our uh, podcasts of course have different subjects like baby steps is a parenting vertical. We'll do it an exciting balance of if we have an idea for a show, we'll brainstorm around potential brand partners and go proactively uh, get a sponsorship so that we can make that show. Uh, and then also kind of if an incoming RFP comes in, then we'll try and see, okay, what do we have in our arsenal that could maybe work for this and let us do a, a pretty exciting episode that we other might have otherwise not done. Other mm-hmm. demographic ways, like we, the Try Guys, you know, proper show. Try Guys, try something. 
uh, is always our great opportunity to reach new audiences, right? So when you try guys, try knitting, that's going to specifically appeal to people who knit. Some of those people might skew older. They might not. It might skew female. It might not. We did a try guys four versus one chess. Uh, that got its own new sense of viewership. We've done poker. We've done sports videos. So diff- sort of that is part of um, the growth strategy of Try Guys is to both do content that serves new audiences because well, people who don't have stuff made for them a lot get excited when somebody makes something about their thing. But also we hope that when they see that thing about their thing, they're like, wow, I also like these guys. Let me go see what else they do. And hopefully they love everything we do and now we've got a, a new fan for life, and it's it's just a cool sort of inherent uh, growth strategy because it just that's just what the content does. I'm also curious because when we spoke with um, a couple other YouTubers at the start of this series, um, they mentioned that they also had a podcast, Alicia Marie and uh, Remy Cruz. If you're familiar with them, um, they mentioned that. While they have a podcast and they have YouTube channel going, they don't have like cross platform campaigns that run like they haven't seen the transition where um, advertisers are willing to kind of pay for spots on both of those platforms, even though they're both individually monetized. But I'm curious, like because you guys, I think, are are more of a media company versus like a. I don't know, YouTuber or creator in the traditional sense. Have you had that kind of transition um, take place where advertisers are working with you um, within your podcast and within your? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't think we have any uh, podcast crossovers that I can think of, but we routinely um, kind of will sell inventory across all of our various platforms. Um, you know, we will routinely have like, oh, okay, this campaign is going to be three YouTube videos with an Instagram component, a TikTok component. Um, we're going to do, you know, these sort of cut downs, this sort of short form media. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely utilizing the full, uh, reach that you have on all of your various platforms is, is, is maximizing your revenue capabilities. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have any programmers or uh, development people on staff to kind of make some sort of a back-end like tech solution for presenting, you know, serving that ads in a systematic way. We don't have a .com uh, other than, a, you know, as a Shopify kind of merch uh, landing page. Uh, but I, I would say that uh, having cross-platform um, ad sales is is very uh, essential to what we do. And before you uh, had thrown around the fact that you're um, working on a movie and or you had worked on a movie um, in addition to all of these other projects, and I'm imagining that the listeners are going to want to hear more about that. So can you talk about the process of creating a movie, what it is, and how you're doing it? Yeah, so this is actually a movie that came out uh, – Last December, um, it was called Behind the Try, a Try Guys documentary, and it was something that chronicled our tour the summer prior. So we we knew that that was going to be a momentous time in our lives, but it also, in reviewing the footage with our uh, great director, Jordan Wong, and our incredible editor, who's on staff, Devin McCluskey, we found that there was a much more interesting, uh, deeper human story there about what is it? What does it take, and what does it mean for four guys with different interests to come together? What are the triumphs, and what are the sacrifices? What are the stresses? And so, uh, it you know was 
on the surface a tour documentary. Many YouTubers have made stuff like that, uh, but we like to think what gave it more substance, uh, <laughs> I guess was the substance, um, uh, was a raw and vulnerable look into really our challenges of, of doing this together. It's out. People can yes, watch it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, let me talk up Zach for a second. Zach was the lead creative on this movie. It was over a year and a half worth of work, over 100 hours of footage. Uh, and it was, I mean, the, the kind of the lead up to this was a really, really big moment for us as a company. Yeah, I think the final scene, spoiler alert, is us sitting on the floor of our new office with kind of construction equipment everywhere, eating takeout sushi. And it was uh, number one on iTunes uh, the the week that it released. Well, you talk about like wanting to, first of all, thank you for that. And I appreciate it. Uh, you talk about wanting to be a little more selfish with our content, right? It's like, I grew up wanting to make movies. So it was like, hey guys, we have all this incredible footage. We're going to make a documentary that makes us all uncomfortable um, because that's a better story. And I want to make a really good story. It's not going to be a puff piece. It's going to uh, it's good. watching the movie, to be honest, I think makes all of us uncomfortable in different ways at different parts. Um, but I knew that that was something that would make for a better story. And so, uh, we, we, what's the end of the sentence? Uh, we all went forward with we it. crushed it, bro. There it is. Thank you. <laughs> Out of all of the projects that you have worked on, um, or you are maybe currently working on that you could, I don't know plug what has been your favorite or most like uh the project you've been most proud of individually like something that really kind of speaks to who you are as creators as you know producers as um media guys media dudes um what is the thing that kind of like really stands out in your memory as being like the most exciting project that you got to do while at your company well, I'll I'll start off so the other guys can think because I just in that moment I flashed through a dozen things like no none of those are right uh, but they're all exciting but for me it would be uh, the tour we did two summers ago we we got to go perform it internationally uh, like Ned said before Ned and I were performers we you know our greatest dream was to be able to do comedy in front of people uh, whether that be live on TV etc but live is certainly the most exciting I do comedy music. Uh, I got to write a whole comedy musical opener for our tour. Uh, we got to do all of these amazing things and be able, you know, walking into a theater and you have like 2,000 people screaming because they're excited for the show to start. Uh, and then you get to do that show and then they're like, it's just like, it's so fun. We got to really see, you know, the people who support us. So we got to go to Australia and Singapore and perform in other countries, something I never thought I'd do in my life. Uh, it, it was just like, it really like checked all the boxes for me for like a really awesome experience creatively and just fun. Like it, it was just so great and fulfilling and tiring. And we got to be on a tour bus, which you think is going to be so dope. And it turns out it sucks. It's not fun, <laughs> but it's cool, but it's not fun. Uh, the only cool part is to be able to in the town, bring your friend on and have them go, whoa, that's probably the coolest part of it. <laughs> yeah it, it was it was pretty special that that i mean in terms of a, the try guys projects i think that is that is mine as well um always dreamed of performing in front of a live crowd of we're recording this two days after i've 
uh, announced my cookbook. So, I mean, it, that is like, I've been living and breathing and I'm so proud of it. I mean, it, it was over a year and a half's worth of work, but really it's, it's almost like it's 10 years, 10 years worth of work. Cause it's my relationship is we've been together for uh, 11 years and uh, has a lot of stories from when first started dating and kind of over time collecting little recipes and our uh, black book by the, by the kitchen uh, and getting to expand on that and tell something that's full of love and gorgeous photos and showing how um, like how like food is just such a important like love language for me. And I think a lot of other people and kind of a, it's a way that you can connect with your loved ones sitting around the dinner table is some of my favorite memories um, and being able to uh, make that all come together in the middle of a pandemic while Ariel was pregnant was uh, an amazing uh, feeling. And now getting to see it be live and to have all of the different um, new series that uh, we're making to help support it uh, is very cool too. Cause you know, you can have content inform products that you make, but you can also mm -hmm. have products inform content. So uh, we have a new, new show that's going to be dropping on the channel in a couple of um, weeks called family recipe battle. That's uh, kind of a, a game show between two people, uh, like say a mom versus your mother and uh, mother-in-law versus me. Uh, <laughs> and that'll be like a, a new type of cooking competition format. Oh, cool. I'm thinking forward to the future of things that I'm excited about this year. Um, I am someone who suffers from chronic pain, unfortunately, as of late, increasingly so. And so I am going to be creating content to live on the channel to try and create visibility there, but also to you know, take the formats that we know and create entertaining content around this thing in my life and other people's life that really, really sucks. Uh, and then marrying my love of, uh, of scripted content as well to create a, a scripted piece around trying to visualize what does it feel like to live with an invisible illness, this thing that is so hard to explain. Um, and then, you know, I, I hope to keep being selfish with the scripted content. I am prepping a uh, Christmas horror short um, for the holidays that, to be honest, I like you talk about things that do not fit with our audience. I I wrote the script years ago and I've been like, when am I going to make it? When am I going to make it? OK, I'm going to make it. They make people may fucking hate it. And I'm very comfortable with that. And I'm in fact a little excited uh, to shock people. Um, so those are the things that I'm excited about is uh, doing a little bit more for myself. But I will also say that sometimes I and the rest of the guys, when we think about like, what are we excited about creatively? We, we go into, okay, what am I working on? But the real answer is when we all come together, that tends to be the stuff that's the most special, the most exciting, the, the things where Keith's brain is riffing off Eugene's brain and then Ned comes in with the joke and I die in there too. Uh, and those moments are, are really electric and exciting and uh, yeah. quite special. All right, last question for you guys. I think a big question that a lot of people have for like creators and um, like YouTubers and I, because you guys and all of your answers just now kind of talked about that like personal like incorporation of um, your health or your family into 
and like a look into your lives. Like because you so frequently incorporate very personal aspects of your life, does that ever get like exhausting for you? Like does it ever feel invasive? Like I feel like this is a, a thing a lot of YouTubers do automatically is like whether they're doing the vlogging or the, um, you know, just personal content. Like how do you, I guess, draw lines in, in between the the personal and the professional and yeah, I guess is it is it ever too much for you guys? Yeah, a hundred percent. We all have different answers for that, and we all have different lines that we are going to draw. Um, and I think as a creator, you need to be you need to ask yourself what are you willing to share, and what do you need to keep for yourself. So for me, I'm a little more squeamish about like sharing my love life. It, it I, that's something that I need to be a little more private. I kept my fiance. Uh, uh, a secret for two years. Now we weren't engaged yet, you know, but like I just, cause I wanted us to have a chance to fall in love without the, the lens of the internet, but I'm a lot more forthcoming about my health uh, because to me, that's an opportunity to, to share something that I'm struggling with uh, in a way that can hopefully give power to others, something that has given me power in my life. So it's really just about what one creatively fuels you and two, uh, for whatever reason, what are you comfortable uh, revealing about yourself? I don't know why I'm more comfortable revealing that and less revealing other things. It just, each person's different. I don't know the best way to say it's a line I've drawn, but I've just found that I've stopped really doing a lot of social media posting in general and trying to just like hang out when I'm doing something cool. Like I don't have to like take <laughs> a picture of it. I don't have to like do a pose pretty shot. I can just have dinner. And it's okay. And like, I think that I've very come very relaxed what? and not trying to make every moment of my life something that other people should weigh in on if they like it or not. Uh, but I do like, I, different when I look at like YouTube and the stuff we're making as a company, I'm excited to do that because it's like, it's it's just, I, I've sort of in my mind drawn a line between the two. And one is like, okay, that's work and that's awesome. And I don't have to do work on all these other platforms. I can just focus in on a couple and enjoy it. I have noticed though that I have a hard time picking up hobbies that don't become content. And I should probably figure out how oh, to do so that. so hard. Uh, it's just so easy to be like, I should make a video about this. This is neat. And maybe I, sometimes I just maybe should have some more things that are just for, for me time. Like I got a VR headset right now. That's just me, baby. Just me in that virtual world. I'm living. It's incredible. <laughs> Keith, you got to start hobbies that our fans <laughs> yeah. don't really like or understand. Uh, like my, my fantasy football tweets really fall flat. So, you know, <laughs> that's just for me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, um, I feel similarly to, to Keith and Zach. It's hard to find that line, especially with uh, two kids. I, you know, I find that I, uh, am pretty, uh, sensitive about the extent that I am featuring uh, my kids, especially as they're getting older. Although I love doing science daddy with my toddler. Cause that's just daddy. us having fun in the backyard. Um, it's a, it's a science show for kids. Um, but I, I think the best way for creators and their mental health in this regard is to treat your, um, your content not like your life, but like your work. And it, even when you're taking photos of your life or documenting certain aspects of it, like have it be like siloed where it's like, this is, I'm like making this in this way because it's going to, you know, have this intended effect and reach people in this way. And, and, you know, you can be authentic and be 
sharing things that are personal to you, but not, you don't have to, um, be documenting every single thing that you do, you know, be intentional about it as like, here, I am going to create content, you know, this, this, and this, um, and I mean, helps if you are keeping it into specific hours too. But. If the value of your life experience is only measured through likes, well, then you're <laughs> setting yourself up for a big crash someday. Well, thank you all so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, this Pleasure. has been such a fun conversation. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Come listen to us on one of our podcasts. <laughs> and thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. 